lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. Rainy day in Phoenix today. I'm amazing. Rare rainy day. Very rare. I think it's the first time we had rain since summer. Yes. Uh, huh? Nah, it? probably uh, monsoon season. Yeah, like like August, yeah, September. August, yeah. I don't know, it's been a while. I mean, this morning I woke up and uh, started working out and it was pouring rain. I was really, really tempted to not working out, but I did it. I feel very good now. But no, it was really, really raining hard. So it's still, it's still raining now, but... It's unusual. As rain in Phoenix is an actual event. The news is flooded with, no pun intended, with <laughs> rain stories. All right, well, but today's topic actually is nothing related to the rain. It's actually primarily Facebook, who apparently is in trouble again. For um, It's being sued, actually, by the FTC, so this is a little more serious. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission for antitrust and uh, monopoly again. Um, especially related to the acquisitions of uh, Instagram first and WhatsApp later. So we've been talking about this thing for a long time and nothing's really happened. And we have uh, our different opinions, actually you know, similar opinions on, on what we think should happen. But I, what I understand is why does this thing keep happening over and over again? I mean, they testified before Congress and they were grilled, not just Facebook, but also Google's and, and Amazon and all that and Apple. And then um, now they are specifically suing the FTC is in a few states are actually suing Facebook and trying to get to divest, basically to split up their the three entities because they mm -hmm. say they have too much power. Yeah. Okay. But so what? Well, I mean, no, it's, it's a valid point. I mean, I mean, you start seeing how they control. I mean, social media is is uh, becoming more than the traditional media as far as influencer of everything um especially now that we have a lot of things that are um you know political unrest and elections and uh social unrest with black lives matter and everything else so uh, the way the news spreads the most is via social media now and uh when you have companies like facebook obviously google with youtube is another one but that for now is is not the issue but when Facebook can control the message so much, you know, with with all their different platforms and their policy they used to have as far as, you know, trying to acquire whichever platform seemed to be a little threat for them. Uh, you know, I understand why the FTC may say, hey, you know what, we may, be we may have approved that acquisition a few years back, but now it's just too big, which... It also brings up Facebook's defense, saying, "Hey, it's big now because we made it big. You know, it's it's our our credit. You cannot just say that we are successful and now you break us apart. You know, so yeah. I mean, okay, the Instagram one. Listen, they bought Instagram eight years ago. It's not like this is some recent right. acquisition. They bought them in 2012, and when they bought them, everybody said it was stupid." If you recall, people were like, what? They paid a billion dollars for One Instagram. billion, yeah. That's, that's crazy. They're stupid. What are they thinking? All these things. And then the WhatsApp even more. Remember when they bought WhatsApp for $19 billion? Mm -hmm. People were like going nuts, saying that's insane. And now they're saying, oh, no, you're too powerful. You're too, like, that, that was anti-competitive. Maybe it's anti-competitive in hindsight, but at the time, it was not anti-competitive. It's only anti-competitive now because Facebook's a bunch of killers, okay? Facebook sucks. You could talk a lot of shit about Zucks. You can't say the guy isn't a killer and that he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, I, I think, listen, I, I think the argument that it's anti-competitive is kind of not that strong, actually. Um, because look at Instagram, for example. Instagram has been trying to do video for years and failing over and over and over. Well, I would have said they're failing. I mean, they're well, trying to... Uh, I mean, the, the stories tried, are... The they, reels, I don't understand. Uh, but 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 Instagram tr launched IGTV, nobody cares. Totally failed. Uh, they launched Reels, totally failed. Nobody cares. But TikTok comes along and beats their ass at video. 
So obviously, Instagram and Facebook aren't that anti-competitive if a new competitor can come out yeah, but, and beat them. But you think about it, the, the stories were actually a copy of uh, Snapchat. Yeah. So that's kind of the issue that, that Facebook sees something that is successful in another Everybody platform. Everybody does that.H yeah, LinkedIn has stories now. Twitter has stories now. YouTube has stories. That's the name of the game. You know, features are not a uh, differentiator when it comes to consumer social because they'll just be copied like that. Um, and so, but I, I don't think that Facebook and Instagram actually have as much of a monopoly as people think. I think that they are becoming... Uh, more and more beatable by the day and then we will see new competitors come and beat them quite frankly um, I don't think you really need regulation now the flip side of that is I've said for a while and I still believe this I think Facebook wants to be regulated I do think so because if you're Zuckerberg put yourself in Zuckerberg's shoes okay you build this beautiful social network you become a multi 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 billionaire you're richer than God okay you live a great life and now you have this thing that is so big and powerful, more than you could have ever imagined. And you really get hated no matter what you do. So if you do the pro-censorship thing and start censoring supposed misinformation, fake news, whatever, like a lot of people want you to do, okay, well then you're censoring people. And so then you're gonna get criticized, oh, you're a censorship company. And then you say, okay, fine, you know what? We're not going to, because then at one point Zuck said, you know what, we're not gonna do anything. We're just gonna let things happen and we're gonna have freedom of information on our platform and we'll let people deal with it. And then some people say, okay, good, now free speech. But then they say, oh, but you let all this fake news and disinformation and hateful stuff That's happen. And there's no winning. Basically, no yes. matter what strategy, if you say anything goes, you're going to people are going to say, well, you're letting disinformation spread. If you start censoring, well, then now you're too that's, powerful. Uh, that's a good point. Let me just jump in first. So to finish my point, though, this is why Zuckerberg doesn't care. I think Zuckerberg wants well, to be I a think utility. He does care, but I, I think if I'm Zuckerberg, I'm like, you know what? Make us a utility because once you're a utility, then you're protected by the government. And basically, look at PP&G in California. They could not be less competent, and yet they're still worth billions of dollars because they're protected by a government monopoly. And I think Facebook wants to do the same thing. It's, not, it's actually a pretty good deal being a, uh, uh, regulated as a utility. Because then you have no need for being competent anymore. You don't have to compete anymore. Well, I see two things. One is the, uh, the, the, the reputation that Facebook has for a good reason of crushing the competition. That's the way they started. They basically started just, as we know, uh, acquiring any business or any competitive platform that they could acquire and then either developing it to their own liking and their own integration or basically crushing it and just disappearing it or making it disappear. So, so the anti-competitiveness part of this is one thing saying okay well facebook is acquiring every platform that starts kind of sticking their head up you know and, and being successful they're going to try to acquire like they with instagram whatsapp and many others um so that's one thing but i think the other part that is not clear in, in this lawsuit they're just saying that they, they, they basically want to separate the, the two entities because they have too much power or, or it's anti-competitive but uh, the other part is controlling the, the media and the message so much because Facebook on its own, forget about WhatsApp or, or Instagram, Facebook on its own has these problems that they cannot regulate their own platform. And it's the same thing that like happens with Twitter and all these major social media platforms. So that's another part that I'm not sure how it's interwoven or connected with all this because every time we have a major event, whether it's elections, social unrest, any any major situation, the social media platforms are the ones that bring all this news slash fake news slash controversy, uh, robots and all these all these arguments and, and disputes and other stuff that happen on social media. Some of them are, and they can't even control it. And then they find themselves trying to censor things and being the arbiters of truth that is, I don't think is the role. But they also blame for doing that. Like you said, Facebook right. said, there's no winning. Right. If, if you there's no winning. If, yeah, exactly. If, if Zuckerberg says, you know what? Anything goes. We're not going to censor anything. We don't want to be in charge of basically, 
deciding what is true or not true. We're just going to let anything go. Then they're going to get a ton of shit for basically letting fake news and disinformation, anything happen. But on the flip coin, if they do censor and they do say, all right, we're going to try to police this, they are going to get things wrong. It's impossible to be 100% right. And they're going to get heavily criticized for being censors and too powerful. There's no winning. I know. This I know. is why if you're Facebook, you say, you know what? I, I want to take the accountability of being the, the arbiter of truth and take it out of my hands because there's no winning. I'm just going to give it to the government and I still make all my money. I just want to sell ads. That's all Facebook wants to do. They just want to sell ads. Absolutely. They don't care about being the arbiters of truth, having all this control. That's like the, the, the hard part about running their platform. The, the fun part is making all the money. They just want the money. They don't want all this shit. And so if they can delegate that to the government, they'll be happy to. But don't you think that also there's a portion of that that makes them make more money because more people get engaged because they see this news that they feed off of themselves, whether it's fake or whatever, and they provoke these kind of interaction arguments. Yes and, and no. That. And then people the, are more... I think more the spend because the goal of Facebook, as it is for YouTube and all these social media platforms, is that you spend more time on your screen on Facebook, and yeah. the algorithm is created so that they. I mean, even if you are super disciplined, you go to Facebook for one quick touch and go that I call, just look at something or post something and go. And before you know, you spend 15 minutes scrolling and seeing this, and even it's like, oh, this guy did this or this right. guy did that. But this is why that's I because think they is made to do that. But this is why I think that Facebook and Instagram and, and everything they own is super beatable because while it is, it's, I mean, Facebook and Instagram are like cigarettes. Are they addictive and do they feel good in the moment? Yes. But guess what? After the fact, and when you kind of reflect, you're like, you know what? I shouldn't be consuming myself with them. And this is why I think they're beatable because I think there will so be... So you have a label that says this is a... No, but <laughs> I just, I just... I see so many new startups in consumer social right now that are doing so many cool things that most people have not heard of because obviously they're, they're tiny right now. All it takes is one or two of these to actually explode okay. and they will beat them. So, all right, let because me they'll back. be so much better. Let me because there's new platforms being designed with the goal of actually uh, being mentally healthy while having a lot of the, the, the benefit of Facebook and, and Instagram and all these platforms is that you have these open, free uh, uh, platforms for communication and information, all these things. The negative side is that they can be hyper addictive and that they can cause negative downward spirals and all this. And there are many people trying to build platforms that are take the negatives out. And I think if someone does it, that they can win. And that's why I think that they're beatable. But, but why then? Facebook in this example or any other platform then starts censoring and banning and deleting accounts of people that are maybe a little more contrarian to mainstream news. Um, and we know a lot of people that have been banned just because they have political views that are opposite to the mainstream or whatever. So they are actually acting as a censorship platform where, where they decide what is trending or not. They decide what can be published or not. Um, so they all do it. It's not just Facebook. I mean, YouTube this morning actually said that they're going to start um, uh, banning or basically removing all videos that dispute Biden's win during the presidential election. When they said before, and this is like a month after the election, and, and before they said, hey, we are allowing all these videos that say that Trump actually won, that there's fraud in the election, all that stuff, because they say that it's another opinion and there's like a dispute, on, you know, all that stuff. And to be honest, I mean, it's still being disputed. I mean, there's lawsuits in place. But YouTube just decided, okay, enough of that. We're not going to allow any more videos that are basically disputing that, we, that, that Biden won the election. Okay, uh, I mean, fine, yeah, he won the election, whatever. But why is YouTube deciding now if I wanted to listen or watch a video on the opposite view, and I'm a smart guy, I can make my own decision. I don't need a video to convince me, but I like to see both sides of the story. Why some people think that Biden did not win the election? Okay, let me see what they say. And then if they say something that's completely out of whack, I'm going to say, fuck, these guys are crazy. You know, I mean, they're saying that they, whatever, you know, the machines were tricked and the things that like the ballots were fake, whatever. Okay, yeah, I get your point. And then the other guys say, okay, one. But why is YouTube making that decision? Why is it making it now before they said, yeah, we can, we can allow both points of views and now we don't. So obviously 
these platforms are deciding what people can see or not see. Like they are minimizing how people can make a choice themselves and decide, well, I can watch it. You know, I can watch the video and then decide that's full of shit. You know, so the same thing Facebook is doing or Twitter for that matter when they ban accounts that we know. Well, there is, I mean, we can name a bunch of names of accounts that have been banned for one reason or another, but it's like, okay, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a radical, if I have a radical different opinion, I can still use the, a social media platform to express it. Well, this is why I think we're going to go into a, a new era of a fragmented internet. I think that uh, you're going to have many different platforms now going into the future. And like this kind of the this is like a classic uh, uh, like a business school thing of the bundling and unbundling effect that you have this era that every business uh, in industry goes through a bundling and then unbundling, mm -hmm. bundling, unbundling and kind of similar for th there's a. A very similar cycle of centralization and then decentralization mm -hmm. that happens in a lot of different areas of life. And I think that right now, the last decade has been the, because obviously the internet started very fragmented. You had a million different places, all these competitors kind of popping up. And then you had the centralization where you had the major winners, the YouTubes, the Googles, which obviously then merged even further. And now we only have one search engine, basically Google. I mean, the rest are so small, it doesn't really matter. Uh, then you have Facebook, Instagram, and then maybe Twitter. Like you have very few platforms, really. There's not that many platforms. I think that we're going to see an explosion, a, a decentralization, so to speak, where you have a ton of different platforms. And a lot of these platforms may very simply just be based on your beliefs. So there's going to be a right-wing Twitter and a left-wing Twitter and a central Twitter and uh, all types of different platforms. I think that's where we're headed. Well, we have that on TV. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad. I think that there's good and bad to it. The good is that, well, if you have a bunch of different platforms, then any idea can be represented on any side any of any belief so that there is less censorship. But the negative is that then people are just going to be in their echo chambers. If you're on right-wing Twitter, then you're only going to see right-wing stuff. If you're a left-wing Twitter, you're only going to see left-wing. And, well, and I don't mean Twitter literally. I mean like equivalents. Well, I mean, but that's almost like like Facebook groups when they have different groups and you you join a group and you can discuss yeah, anything you of, want. I but also Facebook doesn't allow groups for certain topics. So um, like like TV and, and basically as one of the most traditional media or even newspapers, they already have, they already align themselves with a certain political view or social view or whatever. So when you buy a newspaper, you know the newspaper is mostly left-wing newspaper and you buy because you you read what you want to read and you hear what you want to hear and all that stuff and then you write you buy a different newspaper is different you watch cnn is this type of news or fox is this type of news and then you you kind of already know what you get because they are already kind of mature as media outlets and they already have defined their audience and their political alliance and all that but social media became more, I mean, when you go to the origins, it's just getting people in contact with each other together, families, friends, all that stuff, which is a good idea. But then now it's so much, so powerful. And, and now when they start making decisions themselves based on who makes those decisions and saying, okay, well, this, uh, we need to ban this tweet or put a warning here or, or go on Facebook and ban completely this person's account because it's very controversial, too much conspiracy. I mean, they're actually having so much they spend so much more time now trying to uh, po um, police, you know, the, the more all the content that becomes like, uh, you know, yeah, it's open for people. Let people understand what is good news versus bad news. I mean, we have fake news. There's bloggers out there and blogs everywhere that Listen, have. It's, I, mean, it's, 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 it, it, I mean, you go to Huffington Post just to name one, or or any of these major blog platforms that everybody can publish wherever they want. I mean. Uh, there's no censorship there. I mean, you listen, the most beautiful thing about the internet is that everybody has a voice. The exactly. The most horrible thing about the internet is that everybody has a voice. Exactly. It's, you can't, I, I actually think the most of the problems that all these platforms that people blame Facebook or Twitter or whatever for, it's not problems with the platform. It's just people. It's, it's people are incredibly, incredibly uh, manipulatable. And, and susceptible to all types of fake news and narratives and and propaganda, whatever you want to call it, everybody. Well, even even if you like to believe that you're above that, even if like I like to always think that I 
am very, uh, uh, I, I try my best to always see things as they are, not as the narrative I hope that it is, so to speak, and try not to fall into confirmation by all these things. Even when you're super aware of that, listen, I'm still susceptible. I still fall into things where it's like, oh, wait, why do I think this? Is this because I've been kind of uh, indoctrinated with this or is this because I actually believe it? And if you don't, if you aren't even self-reflective, then it's very easy to fall into these things. But the point is people are easy, easily manipulatable. Um, people love negativity, uh, whether, whether that's good or well, not, people love negativity. Negativity actually, we, we fall into addiction easily. If everybody is kumbaya, we agree with everything. There's no, there's no, um, yeah, but, but there's also the, like you said, the, the, it's, it's like the classic, uh, like local news, right? It's like, they try to always put the negative, mm -hmm. horrible stories because that's what people want to watch. And a lot, I think most of the problems just come down to human nature. Humans are highly, highly addictive creatures. We get addicted to things very easily. We're very gullible. We'll believe things, even if they're not true. We'll, we'll believe things, even if we know probably Our psychology not makes true. us react to bad news. Uh, that's the way we were, uh, also, we were brought up. Basically. You know, uh, there's like the, the harsh reality of like, when you have hundreds of millions or billions of people on the internet, there's going to be a lot of, even if it's a small percentage of people, there's going to be a lot of bad actors. That's just the way it is. Well, exactly. If, if you have a billion people on the internet and 1% of people are highly manipulative, evil people, that's 10 million people that are high, uh, trying to be highly manipulative. And you also just have, you know, there's, there's people who are more intelligent and less intelligent in this world, unfortunately. Uh, and there's a lot of dumb people on the internet too. And, but, and, you know, and so I remember the internet is really just a reflection. It's a, the internet is a mirror of humanity. And I think we've stared into that mirror and we're seeing a lot of the ugly sides. Yes, but also it's a mirror in some sense, but also it makes other people that are one way in their public life become a different way in their Yes, that's a problem life. too. That's the problem because There's, you see people that are all bullying and um, you know aggressive and everything on Twitter, some platforms. Tw hidden, Twitter fingers, as they say. Right, exactly. Right? Hidden behind, behind the anonymity of the, of the Twitter or something that will never be the same way. You're in person right. or in a, in a gathering expressing your opinion the same way. Right. It's the same thing that happens in back, back in the days when forums were the only way that people can communicate. There was a forum moderate, moderator that will say, hey, these are our, our rules. You can establish your opinion, respect people's opinions, blah, blah. And if not, they will delete your, your opinion. There was some, the rules were there, and if you want to engage in a conversation, you don't have to agree with everything. Just establish your, or, or present your opinion in a, in a educated way, a respectful way, so that people can understand that you are, um, you oppose their their opinion, but do it respectfully. And that was the rule. Now, social media became like a extended version of forums where everybody can do everything. And everybody comments on each other. I think there's a huge problem with trolling and exactly. irony and exactly. things like this, where it's really easy to be cynical online. It's really easy to knock something down and not provide any type of Right. Uh, actual solutions. Um, and, and this is why I think when I say we're going to go into a fragmented internet, I think that, um, that we are, I, I think that, and I think one solution, very frankly, because what, what's one of the biggest problems that we have? Um, we have lots of people who don't take things seriously because there's no consequences and we have lots of bots and things like this, right? What's a very simple solution to that? Make, make a paywall. If yeah. it costs $10 a month to be a part of a platform where well, you can't go make 10,000 bot accounts because that's going to cost you way too much money. Right. Also, if you're trolling and being a shithead, then you're going to get banned so, and then your money's gone. So why do you think Facebook or Mark? I don't think they're not? ever going to do that. Right. But I think the new platforms will. I, I actually think the future of the Internet is paywalls on everything. Well, More there has paywalls. To be. There has to be. But, uh, but You have to have... You know, if you want to go to lab, you need some type of skin in the game, or else people are not going to take things seriously. So, 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 if Facebook right now with whatever 1.4, 1.5 billion, yeah, users. I don't know. Total on all their platforms, it's two billion something. For, okay, uh, users. all right. So, so you think they did a paywall or some kind of subscription? It's not going to happen there. They well, make too much money from ads. 
Right. They would have to charge too much. Well, what happens is that they will probably have people that pay will not see the ads maybe, and people that don't pay will see ads. What I think Facebook should do is since they're since groups are big on there is allow paywalls for groups and then they take a cut yeah so if you have a group you basically charge whatever you want 20 bucks a month to join it and then facebook and built into facebook and facebook takes 10 percent or whatever so so getting back a little bit to the uh, to the ftc lawsuit which is more of an anti-competitive lawsuit saying okay you guys have acquired these other companies that have become so big now thanks to facebook that now you have too much power but do you think there's a, a little motivation behind which is not just the anti-competitive but also the too much control controlling the message in multiple platforms and then yeah i mean listen you i i, I can't take any politician seriously when they talk about control and power because that's right. their fucking drug right like all politicians care about is power and control and so they don't like that a private company has that in many ways more than they do so they want to take that back. It's just a power game. Well, That's all it is. From that point of view, that actually, in a way, penalizing success. I mean, you take a company that is you buy for a billion dollars, which Instagram was in its infancy, it was a more of a photo filtering app, uh, social media app, and then obviously WhatsApp was a, a messenger services that was barely known in the U.S. and very heavily used, at least in Europe that I know of. Um, so they acquired these platforms that are very little at that point. And as you said, eight to ten years later especially in the case of instagram they become these mega platforms with all kinds of features and additions and some more or less successful uh yeah can i tell you i don't think it matters split them up don't split them up i don't think it changes anything right but that's the thing that that in a way is they're saying okay well we buy this platform or service or business or whatever that was basically not going too far or not growing fast enough we acquire under our wing, we in, make it big, and now you're penalizing us saying, oh, now you need to get in, rid of that. In the beginning, Instagram needed Facebook, uh, mainly just for monetization. That's the big thing that Facebook's brought to Instagram is the monetization. Um, but Instagram's big enough. They have their own monetization. If they split Instagram and f- Facebook, I don't really think it matters. I don't think it's going to change anything. Um, I just think that the only big difference is that now you're going to split the, the ad revenue that goes to both. Um, but they're both, Instagram is plenty big enough at this point to have its own ad buying portal. So I, honestly, I don't think it matters. Uh, really. well, it, it they're won't. both so big yeah. that instead of having one monolith, you're going to have two monoliths. That's right. it. Right. But if it's not under Facebook control, unless they communicate with each other. Well, first of be- all, you don't just split companies like that. Facebook's still going to have a ton of shares in Instagram because they own it. Unless they do a forced sale. I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't think it matters. Honestly, I don't think it matters. It's, I don't okay. think it, So do you see... The solution is new platforms. It's not splitting up the current ones. So do you think um, these lawsuits will be successful or it's just a bunch of noise again? I don't know. I think most of politics is noise. Um, is it going to be successful? Um, it would take a strong will from um, a political leader to make it happen. So does Joe Biden have that strong will to push this? I don't think so. I don't think he cares that much about this particular topic. Um, And then does Congress? I don't think so. I think Congress is so split right now that no, yeah, I don't think so. And the FTC, I mean, uh, again, I'm more concerned. I mean, to be honest, I don't care. To speculate on what politicians are going to do is not. A, a, a good game to play yeah i don't i don't think i don't worry about the ftc or i mean i don't worry about facebook controlling whatsapp instagram or whatever or google also having youtube and a bunch of other companies and i, I worry about more of the establishing a policy in either you censor or you don't because see, we're going to start controlling what all this media is saying, whether you like it or not, and this government is on or not. Of, I mean, they need to understand. They need to. Some some of these companies have become like in Twitter specifically has become too big to to control. And I think even uh, Jack Dorsey has kind of admitted like, I don't have the power to control everything that happens on the platform. Neither does Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, they they've gone like they evolve so much they are out of control and they start trying to reel things in when it's kind of late and that's why i think that it may be more and more difficult to control what happens on the platform and and as much as you want to put things in place they're always kind of catching up it's supposed to be in ahead i think it's too late it is exactly it's too late but there's there's been there's been 
I mean, uh, not just in the U.S., but there's been a lot of things that have been around the world that have been either caused or prevented by Twitter. When when there's situations where there's demonstrations, revolts, these presidential elections, things like that, that when elections, for example, campaigns were paused, then people were still tweeting and doing campaigns on, or, or pseudo-messaging on Twitter just to cause one thing or the other, move things one way or the other. I mean, it's just something that is heavy, it's hard to control in some countries and or in some places, in, including the U.S., obviously. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult topic because it's very hard to... When when the CEO of the company tells you, well, we have mechanisms uh, in place and this, and we're developing this, and I also think that eventually Twitter will become... Like I think you said that a while ago, like two different versions. One is like the Wild West version. I think you called it like yeah, Wild West Twitter, and yeah. then like everything, censorship. Everything Twitter. goes, and the other one is like the vanilla yeah. PG fourteenth section. Or something. I, I I just I don't know. I, I think it's too late for Twitter. I think it's too. I don't think there's going any going back. I think uh, we'll just have Twitter replacements, new platforms that are just better, and that you know what? Hey. Jack Dorsey, you became a billionaire. You know, you did it. But you it's not a much. Yeah, you don't need those CEOs becoming. I mean, yeah, the stock price. So, is sometimes up. it's like, listen, not no company lasts forever. You guys had a good run. Uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But I think we'll see a slow decay over time. Well, I'm, I'm listening, and I'm, that goes for Twitter and Instagram and all of them. I, I I know, or you hear too more and more people on the you know, famous people uh, label, like whatever is sports people, celebrities, whatever, that are starting to feel that kind of uh, social media burnout. Like they're starting to say, you know what, uh, I, I don't go to Twitter that but much. But it's not or, just celebrities. Yeah, people. Celebrities get it amplified because they have millions of people commenting right. on them constantly. Right. They're the ones who are... But even people. normal people. Right. Like, non-celebrities. Like, I, I personally, I'm, I'm actually doing less social media these days than I was doing, like, a month ago or two months ago. Like, I did, I never did much Twitter. I don't do any Facebook. I used to do some Instagram. Now I do Instagram maybe well, twice a week. Like, go to Instagram and I go for something and leave. But it's just because I, I realized that you spend so much time looking at this picture and everybody's just like a highlight reel. And blah. it's just like, I'm over it, you know? Like, like I don't, I just have better things to do, basically. One of the reasons why I think a fragmented social media landscape will be better is because things break at scale. And when you have a billion users, I mean, how are you supposed to control that? I mean, how is any company or government or anybody supposed to control a billion users? That's crazy. That's impossible, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're just going to have fragmented, uh, uh, like, like a, a, you know what a fractal is? Mm-hmm. When you zoom in and it keeps, yeah. like, it's the same, more and more shapes. I think we're going to have fractal social media mm-hmm. where you're going to have tons of platforms with maybe a few million users and all these people are pretty aligned and then you know if you have three million dedicated paying users who pay fifteen dollars a month you have a good viable business and you have uh an ability to control them to where it's not so out of range basically impossible to control all of them you can have moderators you can have things and you can say hey this social media is only for kind of discussing these things if you want to discuss other things go somewhere else and be very uh unapologetic with banning people who choose to troll or who choose to constantly talk about things that are not based i mean really the best there's actually if you study um kind of like certain discord groups and slack groups and even some reddit groups the ones that work the best are the ones where people ban on mercilessly mm-hmm. where they basically say this is the topic or facebook groups whatever and if you are constantly straying off topic or trolling or whatever we ban you instantly we don't care they are actually able to keep things under control pretty well there and have good, solid, non-cynical conversation. But when you have a billion users, uh, it's just impossible. It's just, and it's no skin in the game. Yeah, not just that. With a million yeah. anonymous accounts, you have millions of bots, you have no skin in the game, no repercussions for what you say. It's a problem. Uh, and you have a billion users using 
a platform with an algorithm that is actually instigating and engaging and working towards keeping you engaged no matter yeah. what. So they're going to be showing you conversations. Oh, if uh, I were to make a social media platform, they're going to show you arguments, make... they're going to show you opinions, things that are going to make you stay there from the people that you love or hate or whatever. So so that's the thing. The algorithm is it's like a drug that is going to keep you there and that's how they benefit because if, screen if, time is key. If I were to make a social media platform today and feel free to use this. If give me some equity if it works out. Just throw <laughs> me a couple points. I would make it groups based. Um I probably would not make it only text based. Um, there's a whole new, uh, push for like spatial reality, which is a whole other topic. But anyways, um, I would make it groups based. I would have it heavily moderated so that you get banned if you're not talking about certain topics or you're mm -hmm. trying to be cynical all the time or diverge the conversation. Um, I would make it paywalled. Um, I would do a, a, a lot of things that basically no social media does now. I would put daily limits. You cannot use this more than 30 minutes a day. If you're yeah, on more than 30 critical. minutes a yeah. day, uh, then basically it literally, the app just tells you, hey, you've been on too long. Oh, you need to pay for time. Yeah, but even that depends because if people have money, they don't care. But yeah, but but I, I, w I would just make it so that you can only be on it 30 minutes a day. Yeah, could people have multiple accounts? How about putting a limit on how much thing you can post, how much you can argue and post on rebuttal and you stuff. You could do There's that. Some people that, I mean, some people go back and forth and it's like... You could, I, I would do, um, I would ban filters. If you're going to post pictures, you can't post filters. Um, yeah, but that's, I mean, the like, filters, like, most of the phones already have filters. The, the yeah, no, so you have to, okay, so how, what I would do to get around this is any photo or video you want to post, you have to take it within the app. So you can't upload with some other filter built into it. And then within my app, there mm -hmm. are no beauty filters, anything like that. I would do a lot of those things. Um, bring more authenticity back to it. That's what I would do. I would make it very groups based. And when I say groups, you, we could have groups as small as like 15, 20 people. You know, it could be just friend groups. It could be larger uh, kind of topic based groups. Uh, lots of different things. Uh, that, that's what how, I would do. How, and how that's what the, I think the future of social how media is. How does the business is. work? I mean, you, you pay. Have, you pay. Okay. You pay. So it's a paid ad. Yeah, there's no have, ads. Okay. I see. All right. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to solve. I mean, it's, it's a lot of noise lately. I mean, because the FTC made this, uh, basically filed this lawsuit, and that's the Federal Trade Commission, which basically is a, is a government agency, and they regulate a, a lot of things. Uh, it, it has more noise than just, you know, the typical conversation about Facebook, Monopoly, or YouTube, or Google, and all that. So we'll see how this goes, but uh, I think the timing is kind of a little iffy. They do it now at the end of the Trump administration when Trump was complaining about all these fake news on Facebook and all that. Biden is now going to become president in the next, uh, you know, month or so. What is, I'm not really aware, what is Biden's stance on uh, I don't think social has, media regulation? I don't, I don't really think know. he has um, expressed anything specifically. Um, at least that I know of. So maybe, I mean, I'm sure he has said things about it, but I don't know exactly what he's, uh, I don't think he has anything to do or he has said that, anything that's about That's why I think lawsuit. it's too hard. Because if you're going to do a major move like breaking up Facebook, um, you need a lot of political will to do that. Well, and you I don't know, think you Biden know that, really cares that much. You know um, that just before the elections, I mean, all, all, major uh, social media platforms or companies who went to testify before Congress. And you know yeah. the famous clip when when uh, Ted Cruz, actually a Republican from Texas, was grilling, you know. Uh, yeah, but, you know, th that's what these guys do. That's what well, politicians I know, do. I know, but they, they make were... a show, they get their little clip, it goes viral, and they say, I won. No, it that's wasn't a clip. Job. That was a whole, a whole session where he was basically questioning their, their platform and their policies and their decisions to do this or that or not do this or not do that. So, I mean, that was that was pretty critical. It went viral, whatever, because of, uh, you know, the way the clip went. But uh, um, as far as Biden, I don't know. I mean, he's going to have so much shit on his agenda that I don't even know if it's going to be one of one priority for him or not. But um, all right, so let's move on um, to the next uh, major topic. Um, we had two IPOs this week. Uh, one, obviously, DoorDash, which was yesterday, uh, December 9th. We're recording this on the 10th. Um, and the second one was the infamous Airbnb that was supposed to go public. I think it was last year, the first time, or earlier this year, I forgot. I think, um, I mean, Airbnb, I was looking forward to a while ago. I mean, it's a company that I've been following for a while. I, I kind of like uh, Brian Chesky as far as his 
views on policies on politics and uh, his demeanor i mean the way as a as a business uh, person even though they've been killed obviously with the covid like every other business but um let's start with doordash i mean you i i'm not so familiar with doordash you i think you know a little more about them but uh uh, the IP was pretty successful the first day, as as expected. Um, but um, what do you think? I mean, they started at the, the price was one or two, and I think they closed. I'm looking at uh, 189, so they went up quite a bit. Uh, today it's a little down, obviously starts selling to 170 or something. But um, what do you think of DoDash as a as a new one of the newest public companies? I mean, listen, they're in a very competitive business. I know. And I think the end game is not food. You know, Tony, I actually remember, I forget which podcast this was. I listened to an interview with Tony Zhu. Must have been like three or four years ago now. Uh, back when DoorDash was much smaller than it was today. And he basically said, very frankly, what the long-term roadmap was. And I think it still is. It's just, I think, probably taking longer than most people would have thought. And he said, we're not a food delivery company. He said, we are a fulfillment infrastructure company. And he said, the, I mean, this is like three or four years ago when he said this. And he said, our goal is to be uh, basically the next UPS. He says, we want to... Really? UPS? Yeah. That basically the, the modern <clears throat> version of UPS. Now, UPS is still going to do like longer range. But he says, we want to do for local delivery what UPS and FedEx did for basically standard shipping. Um, and he said, we want to be, be, and we think we can be that size company. And he said, I actually think our market is even bigger than UPS and FedEx because but, local delivery is so massive. But DoorDash is obviously known for their niche in restaurant delivery. Well, so food was the low hanging fruit. And now obviously lots of companies have gone into that. Um, but the bigger, and you're already seeing it, DoorDash and Postmates and, and different companies are partnering with retailers now right. too. I think, well, the I, I think they did our necessity because they need to give the drivers on their The business. end game for DoorDash and all of these delivery companies is pretty much the same thing. Is I think that if we accelerate 10, 15 years down the road, it's going to be very similar to UPS and FedEx where there's going to be two, maybe three major players left in the same way that you have UPS, FedEx, USPS and maybe DHL, but pretty much that's it. There's not a whole lot of major players. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we'll probably have, I think DoorDash will be one of them. I think Uber will be one, maybe Postmates. I don't know. And that'll be it. And that's going to be it. And they're going to be the uh, last mile, so to speak, or intercity, intertown um, fulfillment infrastructure for certainly the United States and then eventually maybe globally. We'll see. Uh, but that's the end goal. Deliver everything, not just food. Well, so as far as the IPO, do you like the the company? Do you like the stock? Do you like uh, what you feel like it has a lot of growth? A uh, lot of growth, certainly. Uh, a lot of a lot of top line revenue growth, mm -hmm. certainly, hundred percent. They definitely are going to keep growing. Uh, profitability is a different question. I think they're still many years away from profitability. I think it's a tough business. Um, I don't have anything really to add that ain't no mm -hmm. one else that people don't already know. Um, okay. The unity economics of food are very tough and that if they want to make money, that the the future is going to be um, broad partnerships and that they're in the volume game. They're going to have to do a hundred billion in revenue and then they'll make a few billion in profit. You know, that's the long term game. And okay. I think that they can get to a hundred billion in revenue, say 10, 15 years down the road. Um, because the market is massive, but it's going to take a while to get there. And I think that it's really just uh, who's going to survive and make it to the end. Because I think it will end up being that we have like two or three players that do all the local delivery and that's it. And I actually think the long, long term, now maybe this will be a FTC block, but the long, long term, if DoorDash say wins and, and becomes one of the major local delivery, that then they'll merge with like a UPS or something like that. They but could. I think yeah. the, maybe the FTC will block that. Right. I yeah, I don't think. Uh, well, before we get to um, the, the second one, which are Airbnb, uh, I wanted to ask you, do you see about um, Uber selling their... Um, driverless technology or self-driving technology to another company, to Aurora. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think they had much. Uh, but why would they do that? 
I mean, I was surprised when I, when I saw that. I don't think they have much in the first place. Uber but, but, is so uh, far behind that I, know, I think but it's... But as you remember, back in... Um, in um, um, what was the name? Travis... Uh, Kalanick. Kalanick? Kalanick, yeah. Okay. I want to make sure I get the last name proper. because, uh, But anyways, back in the days, the goal of Uber was eventually making money once they have... They don't need drivers. Once. Yeah, but that's... Such a long-term thing. Well, I know. That's not even, but it's still not even close. We're not, we're not even close technology-wise, as we discussed many times. But uh, why would they sell that? That's, that's almost like the future because, of the company. Yeah, but, but I, think, uh, if, I think Uber realized we're so far behind when it comes to developing full self-driving, like level whatever they call it, four or five, level whatever. Five, yeah. uh, they're so far behind. And it's just not going to happen. They're just going to wait for somebody else to do it, and then they're going to license the technology. That's it. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was one of their assets. I mean, the, the main thing is that Uber, no. uh, Uber said clearly, uh, we're not going to be very it's profitable a, until it's we a basically money eliminate pit. And they were spending so much. They're losing. Money. They were losing a billion dollars a quarter. No. Well, a how much pit. longer are they going to be like that? And their whole goal was that being profitable once there's self-driving no they should be profitable before that well if they increase the prices yeah which but they if they increase the prices they become less competitive and then it's like okay well i can just yeah, take but a cab how many how many competitors do they have now well they well, everybody's i mean they have competitors in the in the uh uh driving share um not really lyft in the u.s there's Lyft in who no, else? But, but also the, the taxi companies and all that stuff are starting to become like Uberized, if you will. And yeah. How you have your app, you can call the cab. You can basically do similar stuff, you know. So, and in many places, I mean, Uber has a lot of uh, problems with the different cities that don't allow them or whatever. In other European countries, they have like Cabify's and blah, blah. They have all kinds of different services. I'm not talking about international. International is a different game. But yeah. in the U.S., there's no competition. It's Lyft. That's no. it. And I don't think Lyft is ever going to beat Uber. Yeah, but how long you think it's gonna survive if they are losing money? Well, I think their goal is to not lose money, and how one way they're gonna do that stop wasting money trying to develop self-driving cars when they know they're so far behind. Okay, so you think that's a good move, basically? I mean, yeah, do, do, you don't think that the future of Uber or Lyft for that matter is to be able to not call in a the driver, next five years, pick you maybe up. beyond five years, but they don't have time to think about five, ten years from now. They need to think about the next few years. They need to get to break even. They need to lo not lose. For a thing like Uber Eats, that would be actually ideal. You have a basic self-driving car just going around and dropping the yeah, food. It's. <laughs> I think that would be. We're not close, man. I'm telling you, we're, yeah. we're another but five years away. Is it the technology or is legislation? Both. Yeah, I think legislation is going to be very, very difficult, and and that's a whole huge topic too. You, I think technology. I mean, is listen, than even think. even five years from now, when we have uh, self-driving for real. Um, I think that like in a state like California, for example, you don't think unions and all of these are going to, and labor groups are going to protest hard against self-driving cars. Well, remember what they did try to right. uh, make the Uber drivers as contractors. Right. And then, and then Uber is, and what do you think is going to happen when Uber says, you know what? We don't need drivers anymore. Right. It's not going to be good. Right. All right. So quickly, uh, Airbnb. So it's supposed to go, um, IPO today. Um, start trading today. They uh, it says that Airbnb is looking at uh, shares starting at sixty eight. Yeah, uh, people are saying it's gonna finish. I don't know what it's gonna finish above, but it, they said it's it looking could for finish above two hundred dollars a share. Yeah, it's so. gonna look for a forty seven billion dollar valuation. So no, it'll be worth a hundred for sure, minimum. Well, yeah, that's what it's looking at sixty eight. But obviously, we know it's not gonna be sixty eight. I mean, it's, uh, it's not it's not trading publicly as of now. It's probably trading. Uh, for um, uh, you know, uh, institutionalized investors, and but but the thing is, um, Airbnb is a is an example of a company that kind of figure out the hospitality business. I mean, they made a bunch of acquisitions before the COVID happened. They started to have a couple of quarters here and there where they were actually profitable and making money. They overall they are losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so far, you know, as far as annual revenue, but uh, uh, profit and losses. But they did have a couple of quarters where they were making money just before. No, nah, Airbnb is fine. They have solid unit economics. I think it's fine too. They're I, going to be cash. I agree. They have plenty of cash flow. They're fine. Well, they had they had a round of two billion dollar, um, a new two billion dollar investment uh, based on a. I think it was based on a valuation of. Uh, uh, it was less. 
Airbnb made 219 million in net income in revenues of 134 billion. Okay. Yeah, they, I remember that uh, um, they received a loan. Yeah, they raised $2 billion in debt um, funding at a valuation of 18 billion. That was actually back in April this year when COVID started. So, but I think that's a, a very um, appealing IPO to me. I mean, I was looking at that one before when it was supposed to happen almost a year ago. And, um, so yeah, I think the, 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 the rumor of the war on the street is that it's going to go up all the way to probably close to maybe 200. That's huge. How much? Yeah. I think Airbnb is a solid company run really well. Like you said, I think Brian Jeske's brilliant. Um, now are they worth $150 billion? I don't know. Valuations are pretty nuts these days. What's worth what is hard to tell. Um, I don't know. There's two different questions. Is it a solid, great company? Yes. Would I buy at $150 billion valuation? I don't know. Because if you're buying at that valuation, your question is, all right, is there a chance I could double my money on this? Are there going to be a $300 billion? That's a bit of a stretch. Uh, now, again, in these markets, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I, mean, I definitely wouldn't try to even get into it for a while because I mean now it's going to go when they were supposed to go public at 30 billion it was very attractive right. I was I was going to be first in line to buy right now that they've delayed the IPO so much and they're worth so much more I don't know yeah but they, they figured out a way to even survive or do better in the uh, in the second half if you will of the uh, COVID uh, pandemic yeah crisis. Airbnb is uh, is a uh, anti-fragile company because yeah. the benefit of Airbnb is yes, they got hurt with revenue losses, but they don't have all the costs that right. all the hotel chains do. Right. They don't own a ton of assets and, that need to be maintained. And they are so flexible that a lot of people that were living in major cities saying, okay, we're going to be confined. We're going to the, the rural areas actually were having a big, big increase in Airbnb uh, bookings and reservations, people that were trying to be away, like almost like self-isolation thing. The families were just going away saying, okay, we're not going to school and do anything. We're going to rent an Airbnb and just be in the middle of nowhere. So because of that flexibility, they were able to adapt uh, better to to the COVID pandemics era than, than a, say, a hotel that has a building and then, okay, well, we're going to be closed for six months and who knows we're going to open and under which conditions or whatever. So they have that much, much more, they're more fragile or more um, agile, if you will, too, that they can move in different directions as they will. So I think that's good. And uh, not to mention that just before they made acquisitions of Airbnb, online travel agencies, booking agents and all that stuff. Airbnb so. is a cash flow machine. The only reason they look to lose money on paper uh, as far as their net income line item goes, it's just because they're spending so much on growth and expansion. Right. But if as they grow more, they will become even more profitable. They will have more competition from from the major hotel chains like the Marriotts that have their own their yeah, own um, but, Airbnb type scheme. But they also at the same time, Airbnb is actually advertising well that first of all they allow boutique hotels that don't belong to major hotel chains to advertise on Airbnb. Yeah, I, think, I think they should do more of that and they also allow individual hotel rooms to be listed as airbnb so basically there's gonna be a lot of uh, synergy between the mm -hmm. traditional hospitality industry and what airbnb is offering right now so they're trying to uh, expand in their area so yeah i mean we'll know more tomorrow as far as how the price um escalates or by the climbs. time people see this they yeah yeah exactly i mean it's not it's we're not recording this on thursday the day thursday, of the ipo yeah. all right buddy so that's uh that's most of the news for uh for now um any other uh topics or anything no i think we're good okay yeah last week we spent all the time doing mostly um e-commerce and post um black friday sorry monday well in the middle of the shopping season doesn't feel like much now uh but we're basically three weeks away from Christmas. So we'll see how, how things happen. So, all right. So um, basketball season starts this weekend? Preseason. Preseason. Yes. Preseason is this weekend? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Saturday for my Phoenix Suns. Your Phoenix Suns? Yes. Okay. And then uh, part 20, owner? 20, one day, 22nd of December will be the start of the season. Okay. All right. Um, good. So no, no bubble. Just to clarify, no. no spectators either. For, for now. now, for now, closed environment, different cities. They go, they teams travel, all that stuff. Normal, just no people. Yep. Okay. And uh, James Harden still in the strip clubs. Doesn't care. Oh, see. 
Oh, you didn't hear about that? No, oh, I... he was in Vegas partying. Oh, really? I didn't even know that Vegas was hoping for uh, You didn't business. hear any of the Harden <laughs> stuff? No. Oh, I yeah. Don't... All the players were supposed to show up for training camp. Uh -huh. The season starts in I mean, preseason yeah, yeah, starts yeah. this week. James Harden hasn't showed up. And then he well, was. Well, he in, wants to be out of Houston. Yeah, I don't, but I know that much. Yeah, but that's a breach of contract. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you want to be out. You signed a contract. Yeah, yeah. Well. And uh, he was partying in Vegas, and he was, and that's against all the COVID protocols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Listen, I think even if you want to switch teams, you know what? When you're getting paid forty million dollars a year yeah, to play well, basketball, well, it'd be nice him. if you show up. Don't pay him. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they're not going to if he doesn't show up. Oh, he hasn't showed up yet. He hasn't showed up. Oh, how do you know he was in Vegas? They, they yeah, yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. He's like open. Oh, he was. He was in. He was in Atlanta with, um, for some rapper's birthday. I forget which rapper. And he was like on Instagram and videos and stuff. And then like a couple of days later, when Houston Rockets training camp started and everybody was supposed to have shown up, there were videos of him in Vegas partying. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are so out of touch. Seriously, they're like. I've been a hardened guy for a long time. I, I think never. he's underrated, but he's losing me. Well, I lost he's him a while ago. I never actually. I was that. never a hardened guy as much as, much as you liked him. And uh, we'll see how Chris Paul does in Now, finish. Chris Paul, most underrated player ever. He's going to prove it uh, this year with the Suns. We're going to have a great season. Devin Booker is going to be... MVP candidate will he win it I don't know that's a stretch yeah, but will he be in the running 100% yeah no, you Suns, said that you said that you, you Suns will you make it to the second round of the playoffs you said here that the Suns were going to make the playoffs to the second round second round okay I just want to have it on different podcasts so you want to bet no I want to bet I don't I'll bet put on money things that on I don't it. control. I'll put but money on second it. round is going to be tough that means that we need to beat whichever team is in the first round which is going to be if the Suns are number 6, 7, 8 it's probably going to be Lakers Maybe Clippers. I don't know who the third team will be. Um, nuggets? Nuggets, maybe. I'm not afraid of the Nuggets. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. So, uh, yeah, this weekend is also the last week, last race of the season for Formula One. They're going to Abu Dhabi. And uh, we'll see if uh, the seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton, makes it. He was uh, out with COVID last time. The race was very interesting. He doesn't care. He already won. No, My no favorite. you know what? They have very strict uh, COVID in that country. They, they actually have four tests, and they make them into a biosphere, they call it, which is like everybody had to go into a place, and basically like a bubble, like the Orlando bubble type thing, where yeah. everybody's there, and they have to have four negative tests successive. Um, every day before they even allowed. And if you don't pass that, you're basically out of the country. My, my favorite thing about the race was that Lewis Hamilton, supposed to be a great, great, great driver. He's. And then the guy who replaced him, who's like a rookie nobody. No, he's not a rookie. Okay, he was new in the team, but he's been racing okay, for a but while. But he's not considered George Russell yeah he's I mean, a he, guy who's like a middle of the pack guy he's not well some, he's racing for a small team he's right. racing for but he goes in yeah yeah no. and immediately oh he surprised everybody if it won, it, basically the only reason he didn't win the race they was because his, his team fucked up in the pits but the guy literally was going to win the race yeah he had, the he had race never won. driven the car before yeah. and I think he that had. tells you just a little bit how much F1 these days is the car well, versus the driver well, it does a you, guy who had never driven the car hops no, in and wins okay, a race okay let's clarify that because you're jumping into he's driven the car before in, okay. in test sessions and stuff he's never raced that car exactly okay you know I understand no, it was a big surprise for everybody I mean George Russell who's racing for Williams so he's yeah. he's not a new rookie or anything but he's been racing jumped into he's a Mercedes driver so he was loaned to replace Hamilton and who do you have who's better in your opinion Schumacher or Hamilton because they're both similar in that they had I great mean, cars that's, that's, uh, man I mean I I um I don't know. I had to think about that very, very thoroughly. I mean, some of the the only thing that I can say is that the records that Hamilton has surpassed or beat Schumacher on, as far as number of poles, wins, and things like that, is being helped by the fact that the Formula One season now is twenty twenty one races per year. Right. Back in Schumacher time, it was you know fifteen, sixteen max. You know, so uh, that's one thing. Schumacher also dominated when he was for five years with Ferrari. So those are the years that basically was like Hamilton now winning everything. Right, they're very Being comparable. They the, the assigned number one driver. They had the best car. They by had far. the best car. They have. Uh, different tire companies, and um, in their case, Bridgestone was basically doing the the tires just for Ferrari. 
and then everybody else had to adapt to whatever Ferrari wanted. I mean, it was a different era completely. So, now, was Schumacher a talented driver? Absolutely. I mean, he, when he started, it was the same. He was young, and he started being a rival with Ayrton Senna, who was the biggest driver back then. Back, this is back 94, 94 95. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, Schumacher, is, he was the fucking best of the world. First time, seven-time world champion. Now, Hamilton now has won seven. He's won... Uh, you know, like Schumacher was never beaten by a teammate, basically. So who? Yeah, that's a good one. So on Hamilton, was you know, uh, was beaten by Rosberg when then, he had the preferential treatment. Uh, kind of, yeah. So, anyways, it's it's a longer discussion. Who, You're gonna who's find your people. Who's your F one goat? Now, with that said, I'm not actually a big fan of Schumacher either. So, uh, who's your F one goat? Goat? Yeah. Who's the greatest? Who's the Michael Jordan of F one? I mean, I'm I've been a huge, huge fan of um, Arthur Senna all my life. I know it's gonna be Senna. So How I many think did he win? He won three. Okay. But he unfortunately, unfortunately he, he died. So, um, uh, but as far as... I would recommend him, for everybody, the Art and Senna documentary on Netflix. If you yeah, haven't seen yeah, it. it's called Senna. It came yeah. out a few years ago. Yeah. But we actually... 2011. Well, we have the poster on the wall behind the camera. Yeah. But... Uh, 2011. Yeah, Senna. It's a great documentary. Uh, it's on Netflix now. So you yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I... I I was a big Senna fan, and the guy, not just because of what he did at the track, but what he did off the track, too. He was very um, charismatic, you know. Um, and he was driving also in an era where there were no driving aids, there was no gimmicks. Yeah, very different. It was just basically you on... That and, was probably... Do you think that was like peak F1 back then? The uh, 80s and 90s? Close. Because that was back... 80s, 90s. You had like Hunt... And Prost. That was, that was, no, well, Hunt was before. And Lauda. Hunt and, was before. Um, right, I'm saying you had the the 80s was like Hunt and Lauda, right? Yeah. And then you had Prost and Senna. I mean, I think that was, and then going into Schumacher. Right, yeah. Um, there were, I mean, that was a good a good time. I mean, I liked when it was V12. I mean, I'm working more on the engines. The V12 and the V10 engines, the sound of those motors you cannot replace. And now we started going to the V6s and all that stuff on the hybrids and stuff. Um, but anyways, that's that's a whole different podcast. So right. we're wrapping up the podcast. We Next week, I want to hear your top five F1 drivers all time. Listed. That's your homework for next week. Okay. All right. I'll think about it. And I can... I'll give you my top five NBA players, my opinion. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's one of those things. I hate to mix errors and of all that course. stuff. Of course. Of course. One Manuel Fangio like In, in basketball, stuff. it's like, where do you rank Bill Russell? It's like, he has 11 championships, but... He also played in the 60s eventually guns against a bunch of white dudes who couldn't jump so it's yeah, hard to compare yeah i know it's just uh different eras i mean i you tell me in diff like you tell me in today's field is hamilton the best i don't know um okay I, anyways I, I i don't want to go into that now that's I mean, your homework for next week okay. top five current top five all time and i'll do the same thing yeah for okay. nba all right i'll give you my uh yeah i'll give you my top five of all time with my, I don't know a whole lot of history. I mean, I, I go back as far as... Who was the guy in Ferrari back, way back in the day? 70s and... Well, which, which back the in one the day? who won a bunch of championships way back in like the 60s for well, Ferrari? Well, won. Faggio. But, yeah, but I mean, he won five in a row. And that's basically... What He's like the Bill Russell of F1. Yeah, but the, you see how that guy was driving. Oh, I mean, that's when the famous leather, leather helmet, Enzo uh, Ferrari said, drivers are expendable, cars are not, or whatever yeah, he yeah. said. Well, no, that, I mean, the way those guys were driving, when you see it, that was like fucking insane. Yeah. Insane. How they when were. Every, somebody yeah. died every week. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. There's a documentary you're speaking of. It's called The Quick and the Dead. I highly recommend it for any F1 fan that haven't seen it. I think it's actually on Netflix or something. I see it all. I don't know, it's Netflix or somewhere, but I, I see it always, I've seen it so many times, that, but the, basically that's the era where people, you knew that your teammate or anybody else could die anytime. I mean, we had an accident two weeks ago with uh, with uh, Roman Groshan, and yeah. uh, that was, I mean, that was insane how it happened too, as far as the car just bursting into flames, and the guy is so lucky, he's born again, literally, but we haven't seen that for ages. I mean, that's the way that, our, that Nick Lotto was born. When was the last time someone burnt. died in a race? In a race? So there's a, been a practice death. Mm, well, but uh, in a Jules, race, Jules Bianchi, uh, very talented driver uh, from Ferrari Academy. Actually, he was not racing for Ferrari, but um, he was killed in practice. No, he was in a race, um, and uh, in Japan, in F1, in F1. Oh, okay, uh, but he wasn't killed exactly during the race. I mean, he hit a crane that was rescuing another car. He went off and hit the crane with the top of the 
head, like went under, and then he was in a coma forever, basically not recovery until basically they just let him go. How so, long was that? When was that? That was not too long ago. It was four years ago or so. It was four years ago? Yeah, three, four years ago. Yeah, that was that's the reason why they added the halo. The halo was basically for that, right. and the halo actually saved um, Groshan. Uh, Groshan, uh, ironically, Groshan said it was one of the guys, one of the drivers against the halo, saying, "Hey, the purest of F one, blah blah blah." But then, what, after this, he said, oh, "Fuck, I wouldn't get in a car without halo," because I mean that thing totally ricocheted. He went through the through the arm cover oh, right, and then yeah. just totally oh, saved I mean, his life. If you see that video of the, if anybody hasn't seen it, just look it up on YouTube. It's from like two weeks ago. Uh, if you just see that, I mean, the car is like split in half. Yeah, it's totally on split fire. Yeah, you think, oh, that guy's and definitely dead. He's wedged dead. between the like, barrier and the car and the halo, and he had the longest twenty-six seconds of his life. That he actually had an interview with, I think it was TF One in France, and also with Sky News, Sky Sports, and he relates those twenty-six, twenty-eight seconds, and he says, for me, it felt more like like a long time like I think he said almost like two minutes where I had like this thing where I thought I need to get out then I can't get out okay I'm gonna die and then he says no I don't wanna die um, my kids and this and that and then he starts trying to go out again and then his foot stuck I mean he relates the whole thing with such a vivid memory yeah. that like time it, slows down yeah exactly it's yeah. like incredible and it was 26 seconds and the thing is like any more time than that he would have just burnt because he has this you know, you have these fire suits and everything that are they, they protect you against the fire, but for a certain time before they start burning. Right. And uh, he was on the edge of that. And and also very lucky for him is that it happened in the first lap of the race in the third corner. So the medical t- car was still behind. F1 starts the races with the medical car behind the whole first lap and then he pulls into a pit so the medical car was right behind so when it happened but they do that for good reason well they do it for that in the first lap it's always crashes right in the first class is when there's things and the medical car is behind and then but in this case the guy the driver and co-driver of the medical car went out and they were able to kind of help him with extinguisher stuff and then pull him out so that was a big help because if he happens in the middle of the race somewhere else and the medical car has to drive all the way to find him and all that stuff just five ten seconds more that would have been lethal for him so anyways too much of this for now um <laughs> so much for a short uh, podcast uh thanks guys i don't know you got all the way to the end i'm gonna segment this thing in sections and if you're an f1 fan maybe you can just look at this clip if you're a um, investor or whatever and, and you like facebook we'll definitely uh, have a lot of things to uh comment about racing podcast maybe coming one day Right. Yes, yes. I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm, I'm recruiting uh, So that people. you don't have to torture me with race talk anymore. Yeah, especially because you don't know shit about it. But uh, it's Same with uh, basketball. Yeah, exactly. I think I know more about basketball than you about racing, but um, just because it's more mainstream. But anyway, guys, thank you very much for following us. And uh, if you uh, like this podcast or any section of it, uh, please just share it with one friend, just one friend. Everybody shares with one friend, and then hopefully we get more viewers. We do it for free. We do it for fun. We do it just for entertainment purposes. No sponsors, no guests, nothing. And um, and that's it for now. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.